if you're struggling with drugs, but you also alcohol, had people gambling or food, or concerned about somebody who is, tune in to The Living Free Show on 3CR at 1pm every Thursday. I don't know how I got there, but and I couldn't stop it. I had stopped expecting that anybody cared. Never enough. I'm never enough. It's never enough. He's never enough. That was the confusion. Tune in to Living Free, stories of recovery from addictive behaviour. Thursdays at 1pm on 3CR. Or listen at 3CR on digital radio or podcasts and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Being able to centre myself and be okay in myself and turn my world around. Living free. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hey, I'm Mitch, and with my co-host Bill, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. My guest today is Ben. Ben is a musician and sober bartender that works at one of the busiest bars in Melbourne. I'll be talking to Ben about his experiences in the hospitality and music industry and his journey in sobriety. Welcome, Ben, to the show. Thanks for having me. And welcome, Bill, as well. Thanks. Uh, okay, so Ben, uh, I'd like to start with your experiences growing up, your family environment. Mm. If you could talk me through kind of what it was like uh, with your initial experiences to alcohol, drugs, and that kind of thing. Like the first time I started drinking, or um, just kind of within your own your own home, I guess, and you know, yeah. going over to other people's places yeah. as a child. Well, I had a pretty good childhood, I guess. My family's pretty funny. Mm. Um, <laughs> we came from my father was Indonesian. My mum was Canadian, so they kind of came on neutral ground here in Australia. So we didn't really know anyone that well. Um, but I think she, actually she might be listening right now. <laughs> Hi, mum. Uh, watch, watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I started drinking when I was about 12 or 13. I I think the first time I ever had a drink was one of my siblings had had a party while my parents were away. Classic. And Yeah, sorry, mum. And... Uh, <laughs> She was like, yeah, no worries. Have a couple of drinks or whatever. I was like, this is cool. Mm. And then I think that year, on New Year's, I went and tried to buy alcohol with someone else. And I think we somehow, somewhere in south side of the city, got some. Mm. Like, they served us 13-year-olds or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a case of, like, a fake eye. Fake no, no. We, we just walked in and they gave us... <laughs> they just did not care. <laughs> they did not care. Right. I think they would serve to anyone. Because uh-huh. it's like one of those things where we had heard, oh, my God, there's a... A bottle of St. Kilda mm-hmm. that will, like, serve us underage. So we just flocked there. Um, and then that night, I just got wasted, you know. And I think I drank a bunch of, like, you know, vodka, <laughs> kind of like <laughs> mixed drinks or something. Yeah. Um, and then from then, I guess I, I drank all through high school until I was, you know, about now. And around that time, I started doing everything else as well. So I started smoking cigarettes. And then eventually moved on to smoking weed. That was in high school? That was in high school. Mm-hmm. I, pro- I started smoking weed when I was about 14. Mm-hmm. And probably smoked like 
uh, for a period, like, you know, on the weekends. And then as soon as I got a bit older to like, you know, 15 or 16, I was smoking like most days. And then that carried on until I was about 19. Um, and then I sort of have stopped, stopped smoking weed at a certain point because of just, you know, I think everyone who's kind of smokes a lot goes through that at some point where it's really good and then it hits a point and all of a sudden it like starts to create anxiety and starts to make you like overthink and stuff. Um, I think that's when it becomes a problem because people say it's like not addictive, but there's definitely a, uh, escapism aspect to it. And that that is addictive, like if you're trying to smoke to forget stuff or whatever. Yeah, right. And if you can just take me back to before the first time uh, you drank, did you kind of have a thing based on your own experiences with family or hearing about other experiences with friends of yours and their kind of family and whatnot? Did you have any kinds of reservations or was it like, oh, this is a cool thing that my friends and I want to do? Um, no, I remember when I was in early year seven, I guess, I was 12 or something, and I heard... I was talking to this girl from a year above me and she was like, yeah, we all got like really drunk. And I was like, what the hell, man? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> what are you, what are you doing? Like, you're just kids, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, six months later, I was like, yeah, I get it. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I just hadn't really crossed my mind that I would be doing anything like that. Mm. But I think also some of my siblings, I'd seen them drinking and I thought, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, you can do that yeah. as a kid. And in Australia as well, it's kind of expected of you. Like, at the time, I think you could go into a pub with your parents, and if they allowed you to and you were of eight, like 16 or something, you could have a drink, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that really happens in many other Western countries. Right. <laughs> yeah, because for myself, at least, you know, I, di- I definitely went through that phase of, I'm never drinking, I'm never doing drugs, yeah. I'm never going to be that person. You yeah. Know, you know, yeah. you can't yeah. make an um, <laughs> uh, oath to yourself or whatnot. Yeah, um, when you're 12. When you're 12. Sorry. <laughs> And then you uh, get to like 13. And it changes. And then, or 14 and it changes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you were talking a little bit about where it gets to a point where all of a sudden it stops being fun, mm. um, you know, was that was that a gradual thing for you? Was that multiple experiences? Do you remember one specific instance of that happening? For where, smoking? Um, just... I guess I guess drinking. Yeah. I guess drinking. Um, yeah, that's actually a story. I One time I think I was about 15. And I, I don't know, I think I'd never really drank this much before and I didn't know what the limit was. I didn't know like how far I could go and I got really like wasted, um, before a party and I think I'd, I'd gate crashed the party with some friends, which just seems to be something we were just doing at the time, <laughs> which is crazy. I'd never do that now. Um, just made a series of bad decisions on the way to the party and while I was there, I was jumping on a trampoline. And I jumped off the trampoline and I broke my ankle. Oh, wow. <laughs> and for a while, I was like, oh, someone pushed me off the trampoline. But I was just wasted. And I was like, you know, 14 or 15. Um, and after that, I think my relationship with drinking changed. Because I thought that was a bad decision. Like, how, how, was, how was the pain in the moment? Did you I feel that I didn't feel break? it at all. Wow. I, I wasn't supposed to be there. So I'm literally one of those moments where everything stops. And everyone's like looking at me. Mm. And I'm like on the floor laughing. My ankle's just like sideways and I'm getting carried off by like this person's brothers or something. And then I'm lying on the couch with an ice pack on my ankle in the midst of this party. And this person's parents came to me and said, what the hell are you, are you doing here? Like you shouldn't, you know, you crashed my party and broken your ankle. 
and like now we have to deal with this it's all about you it's now. all about me now exactly yeah. and that was kind of a sign to me that oh this is like it's not really it doesn't lend itself to making wise decisions or good choices because after that I, I don't think i was like the same mm-hmm. i was playing a lot of sport at the time and like i was you know a decent athlete and stuff and i after that i lost all interest in it because you know the injury and stuff i just lost all motivation to do it never really came back from that um to play sport yeah yeah i, I did like a you know lingered around for a bit but after that and i kind of saw that it it just affected my life so negatively at that time um that i knew it was kind of like it could be a problem but i you know i kept drinking onwards <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um after that i didn't really i guess think about it too much Mm. about why it happened until I was older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, before the show, we were talking a little bit about how it always is something that impairs decisions and mm. no one makes the best decisions when they are drunk or intoxicated. Mm. Um, what about friends of yours? You know, did you, ever, did you ever experience something where you saw a friend of yours being an idiot and you were kind of like, oh, I'm quite glad that's not me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you, you see it a lot in hospitality, especially a lot of like people who work there and uh people who like attend the venues you just see them constantly having to get kicked out of bars like publicly being like pushed out and carried out and also a lot of like you know the staff members who struggle to hold down specific jobs because they're drinking a lot on the job and then it becomes a cycle where they they drink a lot and then you know you finish at 3am in the morning and all of a sudden you're not just tired from the shift you're also hungover and then you come into work to open the next day at like, you know, one o'clock, you might as well have a drink. Mm. And then it keeps it keeps going and they keep people get fired and people, you know, lose their jobs and their shifts and stuff and affects their livelihood. And especially in, in industry where it's kind of encouraged. It's like yeah. But I can't really think of any specific examples of people yeah. uh making bad decisions. It just it's just something that always happens. I guess we should say as well, um, it's, you know, not every single bar has, I think it's called a wet bar. Yeah. You know, you're allowed to drink on the job and whatnot. Um, You know, in your experiences, what's it like? Because you were in a management position and, you know, you are kind of responsible for the staff at different um, moments in time. And so how is it dealing with those kinds of instances? Um, It's, it's, it's never like fun, especially because I'm sober. Mm. It's, it's a little hard when you're not you know, on the level of everyone else and especially the staff and stuff and, you know, each their own, but it's it's kind of hard to even just communicate with people who are drunk if mm. you're sober. It's it's frustrating because they think they know everything. It's like a brick wall. <laughs> it's like a brick wall because no, no, they're not really listening to you or anything. Um, and, yeah, it's never fun because you want to, you know, you want to be nice and they're all your friends and your coworkers and stuff, but you also have to draw the line somewhere and... It's it's kind of also hard if if people are kind of drinking for the wrong reasons and you know and just coming to work to get you know messed up or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um you know I see this with a lot of people who are in their late twenties and their early thirties you know they've been drinking their whole life you know they've wanted to stop drinking for years and then into adulthood maybe they have a kid or something like that Mm. and then they make that decision you know when you're in your early twenties and you're still in the midst of all you're partying, perhaps. Mm. That's a totally different decision. So, yeah. you know, what can you say or what can you speak to as to the societal kind of pressures on not drinking at a young age, like in your early mm. 20s? It's, it's like everyone's experience is, is different, obviously. I should 
preface everything by saying that. Like, mm-hmm. my, I can only speak for myself, but it's a lot of pressure. Like, it, after, like, maybe six months of being sober, people started finally to just accept that I'm not going to drink with them. <laughs> six but, months. Yeah, but honestly, like, for a while, it was just like, oh, come on, have a drink. Like, it's fine. Whatever. Especially because it, it wasn't like I had an overt problem with it. They weren't, like, you know, super careful about it. They just asked me to drink or whatever. And I just say no. Mm. Then it'd always be, have to say no or refuse it, like, three or four times um, before it got to the point where they just stop asking me. Yeah, um, yeah it's 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 crazy the amount of pressure that it kind of, just society in Australia especially, hmm. to put on you to drink or whatever. And, you know, has it affected the way you think about your sobriety long term? You know, have, you, have there been moments where it's just like, oh, it might be easier to, you know, have a drink mm. or, you know, I feel like, oh, you know what, maybe just tonight can't hurt kind of thing. Because yeah. I think, you know, how... What is your um, personal relationship with sobriety? Are you permanently uh, sober or you will pick up the occasional mm. drink? I I got sober eight months ago and I, I, I guess I didn't really have a plan to, to do it long term. I said oh, I can do six months mm-hmm. and, and then I kind of just haven't had an interest in, in drinking again because I remember how I felt, you know, after work in the mornings and the next day and... Just like it, it never really, I think one of the reasons why I got sober was it never really made me feel like really high or good. It would just make me feel sad. Mm. Like I'd, I'd get to a point where I was like buzzed or something and then it would just instantly just start going downhill. Nosedive. Yeah, nosedive. And then I'd watch all my friends like have the best time ever. And like, how do I do that? Yeah. Like, how do I get to there? You just have to keep drinking. I also, even, also can't stomach it. Like, I, I just yeah. get sick, man. Like, and even I feel like, you know, it's almost like a self-fulfilling cycle because, you know, you're feeling sad and then you f- see your friends having a great time and then you feel more sad <laughs> yeah. and then you keep drinking because you want to get on their level <laughs> and it just, you just keep going down. And... That's, and that's really bad, man. It's a bad reason to drink. Like, there's no really amazing reason to drink, I guess, unless you, like, celebrate something great. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite wild. <laughs> and uh, and music, you know, yeah. um, you are a musician. We're about to play one of your songs in right. a moment. Um, you know, what's that like being in that environment as well? Because obviously there's a lot of touring and partying and yeah. drinking involved there as well. Are there the same kinds of pressures? Um, not as much in, as in hospitality because it's not like direct, but it is an industry as well, especially when you're a session musician, you're gigging a lot, which I am, uh, that you're just around it a lot. And a lot of musicians party real hard especially at shows but even like you know once you start playing shows during the week like i'll play monday to friday or whatever it starts making sense to just stop drinking and hold back because otherwise you're in that environment like every other night especially when you combine with hospitality if you start drinking like every every gig Mm. i used to be like a big party every time i play a show and be like cool you get some drugs get some drinks or whatever but it can't really be like that every time. Otherwise, you will burn out and, you know, fall, like as so many musicians have, just like fall off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, thanks for that, Ben. We're going to head to a break now. So this is a song from Ben's band Coco, and this song is called Stranger. Hell yeah. Expect to see you here 
Do you have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home? Well, drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin. Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book. Welcome back to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Today I'm talking to musician and sober bartender Ben. Before the break, Ben and I were discussing challenges in regards to sobriety with working in hospitality and working as a musician in the music industry. So Ben, uh, what I want to discuss now is kind of the transition from partying in your teens Mm. into your early 20s. Mm. So... What were the major differences before you got sober and after you got sober in regards to social settings, situations, that kind of thing? Work environments changed. Mm. Well, the main thing when you when I got older was just introducing different substances to it, I guess. Um, and I guess I I kind of knew the harm of it all, but it's still like you know I was willing to. When you're younger, you're willing to like trade off. You're like I can feel like crap for a few days for this really fun night. But then you kind of realize that it's you've kind of had a net negative experience because you've had fun for eight hours, but then you've had 24 hours like feeling bad. So yeah. like the remaining hours are just like you know net negative, net yeah, negative. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's like it's it's almost not not worth it. I um, even heard the phrase like you're borrowing tomorrow's fun for now. That's tomorrow's it. Well-being. And you know that can be it can actually be worth it probably, um, and it has been in the past. But when it gets to a point where you're you're doing that every weekend or Whatever, during the week, randomly, just willing to give up a couple days, I think it starts to become a bit of an issue. And I noticed that as I got older, um, like around, you know, a couple of years ago, probably when I was in my early earlier 20s, I guess I'm in my mid-20s now. <laughs> you can be honest about <laughs> yeah. it, mate. Um, it, it was a little easier to do that and just kind of drop everything in a hat and just go party. Um, but that is where it became like a problem. I think, um, and where I started to slow down a little bit in the last year or so. Yeah. And um, we've spoken about alcohol um, pretty extensively. What about other substances? So you mm. briefly mentioned smoking and, yeah. you know, other things like that. What about, like, party drugs? How was your relationship um, to them? And, you know, <laughs> how was uh, the kind of cycle of addiction, I yeah. should say? So I, I started smoking weed when I was, you know, 14, and I think I d- did that more than anything else. I've, like every day for like five or six years during the day I was, was it a, yeah. during a school thing I was very functional like I could I could one of those people who could just do it and then go shopping and go to the family events and go to work and stuff yeah. um, but eventually you know you start to you get in this bubble where everything's like fine and then you just start stop to stop doing stuff because yep. you're like oh, I can handle this like I'm fucking sorry you just level out it's like <laughs> you level constant. out of it yeah, yeah. Um, and then with party party drugs yeah I guess I started uh, when I started to have a bit more income, I started to use a lot of like MDMA and, and stuff, and that was most weekends for about a couple of years, and that really like your baseline of like serotonin and all that stuff just goes so down low, so where you experience very low lows, 
and not very high highs anymore. But you still need to feel good, so you start taking it every weekend. Yep. And it becomes this thing where you needed to have fun and like you needed to socialize. And a lot of people like take it and they they open up a lot. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's like, I love you, yeah. man. Like, we're going to take Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, I've noticed people only start doing that when they're taking drugs right. or whatever. And it's like, that's that's a not like a massive problem, I guess, but you, you need to have like healthy coping mechanisms and outputs rather than just getting you know, messed up with your mates and then sitting in a big circle having a DNM. Mm. <laughs> and um, has your sobriety, you know, in discussion with your friends and whatnot, have there been friends where you were like, oh, okay, this is a difficult conversation to have with you, but, you know, if you kind of approach this in a way that I have, maybe it would benefit you as well. Or have you noticed um, opportunities where you've wanted to tell friends, hey, you need to, like, take it easy kind of thing? <laughs> um, I'm, I haven't really seen too many friends be that bad, and I, I kind of don't think it's it's my place sometimes. Like, if I... Obviously, if I thought, okay, this needs to happen, I would probably do it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Oh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm in a place really to be the authority on that either. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't tell someone how to how to live their life or you know how much to drink or whatever. I mean, unless I'm at work, unless I'm at a bar or something when I'm and I'm working there, in which case I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as a mate, I I would if I needed to, but I I haven't really. Yeah. yeah. And um, just touching on what we were discussing regarding functioning mm. um, and functioning on drugs, I feel like it's such a trap. Because, you know, you convince yourself that, you know, I can totally get away with this. And, mm. you know, my mom, that was kind of, she explained to me that she was a functioning alcoholic. Mm. And, yeah, it, it really is, it can be quite deceptive, yeah. I feel like, because you go through life and, you know, it, it is this thing where it's like, oh, okay, everything else is justified because I'm still getting done what I need to get done. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Did you, um, yeah, you, can't, you kind of found that when you were smoking. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like, this is fine. This is technically medication for me or something because I'm actually functioning at a very high level. So you think, mm. but you, you're not really like it's, yeah, if you kind of need it to function, then it's not really a, a, a good thing, I guess. Right. Well, for me anyway, I yeah. guess that's, that's my experience. Mm. But yeah. I, I was finding that I would use it to justify things. Um, yeah. And justify bad behavior as well. Like justify being like a bad person or justify being making bad decisions within your relationships and with other people and stuff. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was wasted, you know, like it's not my fault. Well, it's like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, can you talk to me about some of the, some of your biggest challenges uh, in sobriety and, you know, not be, having to sacrifice potential nights out just because mm. of the crowd of people, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I get. I guess it, it. You do get a bit of like FOMO. I guess like you kind of have to sacrifice going out with some people and going out with friends and having experiences because you know there's going to be like heavy drinking there. And it's not like that's an issue for me. Like I don't think I would drink, but it's like I won't have a good time because I'm not going to be able to be on the level that everyone else is on and and they're you know going to drink twenty beers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna 20. I'm gonna drink you know ten cans of like soft drink mm-hmm. <laughs> and like it's not going to be. Uh, we're not really going to connect or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it hasn't really been too bad of a struggle, i got to say. Like, it, the, the hardest thing for me is, not is like, kind of people treating me like I'm in, you know, a 12-step program or AA, which is fine. But, like, I, 
it's like for everyone, it's either all or nothing. Like you either drink or you're an al- like an alcoholic who's like recovering or something. Mm-hmm. I can't just be a person who doesn't drink. And I feel like that's what it's about as well. It's about connection. So, yeah. you know, that's, I, I feel like what everyone is kind of searching for on mm. a night out and, you know, they feel like, oh, okay, I've got this liquid confidence from <laughs> drinking and that's yeah. what's going to enable the, um, it's what's going to enable me to connect with others. Yeah. But if you can find that yourself without those substances, I feel like that's such a power yeah. and such a strength. It's, it's also, it affects like dating. Yeah. Like, cause for my whole life, the move has been, if you go out on a date with someone, you go to a bar yeah. and you, you drink and it gets you both like nice, kind of lowers your inhibitions a bit and you can talk openly and stuff. But now if I want to do that, like I don't, I don't know what to do without drinking that involving your and I don't drink, I don't drink coffee or anything like I did today I guess but <laughs> <laughs> but I've never had like an issue with coffee either so it's it's kind of it does put an invisible limit on what you can do with other people and um like if you were you know you and all your friends had you know alcohol problems and you wanted to quit drinking it's either all of you have to do it at the same time or you have to stop seeing that friend mm. you know because if it's, if it was really bad, then it would be so difficult to to do it while you're surrounded by it, which right. is a tough decision to make. It's like, do I want to be alone, or do I want to be getting messed up with my friends, I'm like drinking? And what is the move on a date now? Is it kind of <laughs> bartender can I have a lemonade and a groanie, <laughs> yeah. or how do you kind of approach it now? I, I just say up front, I don't sorry, I don't drink at the moment, and I just see if we can think of something else. Okay. And because I remember I. I got someone's number a long time ago and I invited them out for a drink and they said, oh, I don't drink. I remember thinking, that's so weird. Like, I don't I don't really want to see this person. Yeah. So, How so ironic. They, yeah, I know. Now I say that to people and it's, it's such a relief when they say, oh, I, I'm not drinking at the moment or something because it means we can just go, I don't know, do something normal. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like, you know, if, they're, if they respect you enough and, you know, if they're understanding, they will get that yeah. and ultimately you are doing a good thing for yourself and you're, you're trying to yeah. better yourself yeah and essentially most of my my friends and relationships i have with people everyone's been really cool about it you know obviously there's that few month period where everyone's like begging you to drink with them mm. um but yeah mostly it's been been pretty positive so yeah. yeah and uh do you take it day by day or week by week or you know do you kind of have a plan for yourself in regards to your sobriety um well I guess I take everything kind of day by day, like dealing with mental illness and stuff. You kind of have to sometimes. Mm. Um, it's kind of hard to look too far forward. But I, with sobriety, I I don't really, I don't really think about it too much. Like it just, it makes sense for me to do it because it makes me feel better. Like it's better for my mental health. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of think there's also a thing in my mind where at the drop of a hat, if I wanted to, I'd just go, you know, drink or something. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I've no idea what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's all right. None of us do. Yeah. I feel like we're all figuring it out day yeah. to day. Um, yeah. I feel like as well, you know, that's something that it does assist with your productivity. Yeah. yeah. It can, you know, yeah. can you speak to that? Yeah, definitely. So I, you know, I have a music producer and I guess... Since I stopped drinking, I don't have like a reason to stay in bed all, all day. I don't have an excuse for doing nothing yeah. and being hungover. Like it's such a good excuse to get out of anything. Like oh, I'm so hungover today, I can't really do much. I'm just gonna watch TV. I can't really do that anymore unless I'm like really tired. So I just spend all my time in the studio, you know, 
producing and mixing, mastering, recording, writing, all that stuff. And it's kind of unhindered by you know, that brain fog you get from drinking. Yeah. I mostly just get regular brain fog now, right. which is, which is yeah. fine. Which is what everyone's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. So the baseline's like a bit better. I'm a normal person. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I, um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and, you know, this um, famous rapper was talking about his sobriety and, you know, he's sober now and mm. that's allowed him to get so much more out of touring specifically because mm. he would have that excuse of, you know, I'm so hungover. Mm. I got absolutely trashed last night and he wouldn't be able to experience the places that he was going to and touring and stuff. And it would just totally implicate his, um, his schedule in a negative way. Mm. Um, I feel like as, as a musician, you must find the benefits from that as well. You can totally, you can totally turn all your efforts back into your musicianship. Yeah. You can, you can go play a show and get home at 12 you know, 1am or something, get back home, go to sleep and wake up and be in the studio the next day, not be hungover, mm. like uh, just kind of wasting a day, you know, and it's it's such like a hustle, like culture here in Melbourne, especially, especially in the music scene, like people don't want to lose like time, I guess, mm. and I don't want to, you know, I want to just be functioning and productive and, you know, I could see how I've been on one tour and I could see how doing like a big, big tour, like a world tour or something for like, you know, a lot of these big artists tour half the year or something. And if you're drinking and you're taking drugs and like every stop, you know, it's, it's going to be a big blur and you're going to feel like crap when you, when you get out. Yeah. So it's, it's good to moderate it. Yeah, for sure. And, um, last question before the break, I know you weren't exactly addicted to these things, but uh, when you stopped drinking and, you know, eased back on drug use and whatnot, did you kind of turn that focus in, or that, you know, addiction potential into something else? You know, mm. were you addicted to other things? We were talking about our phone, yeah. you know, and how that can just be such a black hole of yeah. time wasting. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I, generally speaking, like I don't say like I'm an alcoholic or anything. I think I just have a problem with addiction in general. Mm. So, yeah, as soon as I, like, stop with one thing, another thing starts, whether it's, like, food or smoking or love and sex or, like, the, my phone, you know. there's It's kind of a response to dealing with trauma and depression or whatever is to to look for something to, to fill that up and give you some sort of positive feedback loop that you can uh, control, yeah. which is, like, you know, getting drunk or going on your phone or whatever, it's instant gratification. And it kind of get pulls you away from, like, I don't know, being in a bad mood or just reliving past events or something. So yeah, Just dealing with any kind of trauma. Yeah, generally. exactly. So I, I do find that I definitely, if I'm not addicted to, like, drinking or, like, drugs, it's, like, something else. Something else. It's always something there. And a lot of that is work as well. So I can use it productively. Um, like, I get really fixated on, you know, music i do it eight nine hours a day and uh I, I find that is a good pretty productive addiction but even then it has its limits like you still have to have social life and you still have to you know take care of your mental health right and even a break can benefit the work yeah you know but you convince yourself but then what do you do on the break you just right. i just like go on my phone and like thinking about oh, that like i spend nine hours a day in ableton like making beats or whatever <laughs> and then i get home and I, all i want to do is like watch TV and scroll my phone at the same time. Yep. <laughs> um, thanks, Ben. So we're going to go to another break uh, and we're going to be playing another one of your songs. So this one is called Overdue and this is from Coco. 
Robbie Thorpe. I'm doing Black and Deadly on Fridays from 11 to 12 o'clock. Looking at all the best uh, Black and Deadly music, entertainers, and performers around this country. Uh, join me then from 11 to 12 Fridays, Community Radio, Thresia, 8:55 on the AM dial. Welcome back to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Today I'm talking to musician and sober bartender Ben. So Ben, um, we were talking a little bit about being in the music industry and how sobriety affects uh, being a musician. Mm. Um, I want to know, you know, going forward and creating music and that kind of thing, do you get more out of your gigs being sober? Do you, you know, I feel like you'll remember your experiences a little bit better, that clear, clear-headedness, yeah. like a brain fog. I, I, think, <laughs> I think I play better, for one. Like I, so I play bass in five or six bands, mm. and I found I used to like, you know, I'd do like a bit of coke or something before I got on stage, and I'd just rush, mm. and I'd play so fast and like 
I think everything I did was awesome. You can get over into your head a little bit. Any nerves Any, with the coke or not at all? No, like, well, I never really got nervous about being on stage. I've been like doing weird performance stuff since I was little, so um, I never really got too nervous. I more just get like nervous energy and excitement, and I think. If I was ever feeling a bit tired before I went on, if it was late, I'd just do, like, drugs mm. or whatever. Um, especially if you're, like, drinking all day. Because, you know, each gig used to be, like, a party. So you'd start drinking early in the day. Yeah. By the time it gets to showtime, you're, like, pretty wasted. And so it's like, all right, I might as well do some, some coke or something and, like, pick myself up for the show. Um, there's actually a, a recording of that show on YouTube somewhere. Um, <laughs> and I, I look at it now, and it's, like, it's fine. But I'm like, dude, I was off my head. Like, I... <laughs> Yeah. No idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, right. And, you know, uh, being sober and being in your mid-20s, 25, mm-hmm. um, what kind of advice would you have to other people who are, you know, thinking about going sober? Mm. It's perhaps something that they, you know, think is not viable for them and their friendship mm. groups and whatnot. Because you, you don't have to pull yourself out of your friendship groups per se, no, right? No, uh, I think you, for one, you just kind of gotta have supportive friends, and I, I don't know. I'm I'm not like the expert on it, but I think you should just give it a go. See how long you can do, and and eventually it becomes a bit of a challenge for yourself. Like for me, it was okay. I'm, I'm gonna. St- I remember I went to a show, and I had a, a beer, and I decided I, th- I don't think I'm gonna want to drink anymore because it made me feel sick or something. So I was hungover from the day before, mm. and uh. I just remember thinking, all right, I'm going to see if I can do two weeks. And two weeks went by. I was like, oh, cool, I can do it a month. And I was like, I wonder what will happen if I stop smoking as well, like cigarettes. <clears throat> and I did. And all of a sudden, <laughs> all of a sudden it gets to six months in and you've been like clean and sober. And it's like, cool, every day is like a fun, not fun, but like every yeah, day yeah. is like a, a bit of a challenge. And it's also quite rewarding. Like you almost get uh, this feeling of relief uh, when you deny it a little bit and you kind of, beat the sensation craving in saying that i am smoking again mm-hmm. um then <laughs> that is i'm i'm gonna you know blame one of my siblings a little bit okay because bit blame. they went away to europe and they left a vape in their room <laughs> and i went in there and i and it was crazy i had i was going in there and have a little psychic every now and then <laughs> and then uh you know within two or three days i was just like fiending it right so, yeah so that's interesting so do you think that's just a vaping thing specifically i think it's like nicotine in general i'm nicotine. very i've been smoking as well since i was about 12 mm. um so yeah i i think vapes specifically uh you probably heard this a million times but just way worse for addiction i don't know what they're doing health wise like I've, there's no like data on that mm. like they're too new yeah i know what cigarettes are doing to me yeah and there's also limitations to where i can do it and when I can do it. I can't do it in bed. Yeah. I can't do it in the studio. I can't do it before I go to sleep and when I wake up. Whereas with the vape, it's basically limitless. Anywhere I go, I can have like instant like relief and like vapes and nicotine and stuff. And so. can you describe the actual physical sensations of addiction when nicotine enters your system? So why is that something that works for you specifically? It's it's like relaxing for one, it's, it also gives me always something to do. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like I, it's like a reward system, which is a, lo- a lot of addiction starts like that and is like that. It's like a system I use to reward like work or whatever. It's like, hell, I've been focused for like three hours straight. I'm going to go have a cigarette mm-hmm. and shut down a little bit. And it kind of happens a lot in hospitality because it's like you get a break 
for like five, ten minutes if you're going to smoke a cigarette, like every, once every two hours. And so all of a sudden everyone's smoking, even if they didn't start, like before that, you're working in a bar and all of a sudden, you know, you're taking a cigarette break. And uh, Bill, I want to throw it to you. Do you find that's something quite common, you know, that reward system using substances in that manner? Not just with nicotine, perhaps. Uh, well, I guess um, people with addiction problems, anything they're using um, will will be a problem if if it's a known problem to them. I'm going to say it's trying to get a a fast response is what people are after mm. to take their mind off something else. You know, often addiction is related to you know some sort of mental health issue that people use a substance to try and calm the the mental health issue and the substance becomes the problem. And so it moves from one issue to another. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking before, you're um, no longer in the hospitality position that you were. Yeah. No longer at the bar that you um, were at. How has that uh, impacted your mental health, your productivity, your lifestyle just generally? You know, it's obviously changed. Yeah, it's it's been really good. Um, I loved that workplace and I love everyone there and but it's super fun it's fast and it's like fun but you know especially if you're drinking like two years goes by very quick mm-hmm. and like you can see you know people who are you know 30 and 40 and stuff no disrespect to anyone but um, you get you can get stuck in a trap there for like a long time especially if you want to do I don't know, other stuff mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you know you're getting older and you're still drinking every day and I just didn't want to to be like that and it's so I quit um I started going full-time in the studio and now I just make records and I find that very rewarding even though I'm like teetering on the edge of bankruptcy it's like I'd much rather be doing that and functioning and feeling healthy than not sleeping and working at a bar and making lots of money like that's payoff there is no-brainer for me for sure. And when was that something you figured out that this is potentially a trap that I'm falling into? Was that when you were doing the drinking at work or after? It was after I'd stopped drinking Yeah. because I, I, you just see things a little more clearly, like especially in that environment. Um, I started to, my anxiety was up. Like I have, you know, an anxiety disorder and that was really an all time high when I was at the venue because of the stresses of the job. And it makes you want to drink because you're like, if I want to, you know, relax a little bit or like take calm the nerves because it's a busy night or have a shot or something. Yeah. Um, so I just noticed I was getting, and the closer I got to the building before work or something, the more my anxiety levels, I could feel them go up. Um, so I kind of realized like, this is not a good space for me to like, to be in or anything. Yeah. And, um, what about, um, talking to other people regarding your sobriety or, you know, searching online, doing some, some listening of, of podcasts and stuff mm. like that. Did you do, what kind of informing yourself did you do, if any? I just kind of went cold, cold turkey. Like I just stopped doing it. And I, I guess I, I talked to a therapist, like I think everyone should. Um, I mean, I used to own, but I was talking to a psychologist about it. Um, and that was got all the, all the info I needed. And they were like, this is a good decision. And I was like, you're right, it is. <laughs> I needed <laughs> so that. I needed that, yeah. <laughs> and so I talked to a lot of uh, friends about it too. Well, I don't know. I I just kind of said one day I'm going to stop drinking, and I did. I didn't really read about it too much or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and how has sobriety affected your um, your ADHD and you know other conditions like that? Did you notice a instant um, reprieve for some of those things that was perhaps being hindered by drinking and drugs and that kind of stuff? Um, I I noticed it was more present, like especially with depression and stuff, because you know you're not doing anything to drown it out anymore. Like you can't alter your state of mind; you just have to confront it. With it. And I found that it, it's obviously been very good because it's allowed me to like take the right steps to to dealing with it because it's like oh this is how I normally feel mm-hmm. this is how I sh- I feel and I I need to work on that so my baseline is like higher and I feel better uh, as like generally <laughs> and then maybe I could start drinking again in moderation or something um, but yeah it's been it's been definitely a plus side for my mental health like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what about like meditation or anything like that? Do you engage in those kinds of practices or just like being present in the moment? Because I feel like that's something you definitely benefit from through sobriety. Yeah, we were, we were talking about this earlier. It's like a, a skill that you need to, some people, especially I think young people need to learn. I'm not very good at it. It's just being with yourself and practicing mindfulness and just sitting there with the intention of being mindful and like being present. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I struggle with it, especially with like my phone like I'm so addicted to it. I'll pick it up without even realizing and I'm scrolling, you know, an app and all of a sudden it's just been like an hour gone by. I've ignored all the warnings I've set up for myself on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> all the reminders come up and it's like, yeah, not no, now. Not, no. I don't think so, buddy. No. And <laughs> I think setting aside time to uh, be mindful and just actually be present is is really difficult, but it's it's definitely... Rewarding. I'm still working on that. So yeah, for sure. You're a work in progress. Oh, dude. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. yeah. It took them ages, actually. That's right. Like centuries. So. Uh huh. Long time. Um, <laughs> and I feel like that's something that some people convince themselves that they actually enjoy. You know, they get drunk and it's like they're not present at all, and yeah. they get used to that, and they get addicted to that feeling of not being present. Mm. You know. Mm. Um. So I think there's definitely value in at least practicing. You know being present and being in the moment yeah meditation and and reading is good yeah um that's something that i feel like a lot of young people forgot how to do reading struggle. I, i'm terrible with it yeah man. i go through phases where i'm reading every day and then i don't read for two years and then yeah, yeah. what about a kindle <laughs> have you picked up one of those uh, no, no that's no, I don't know. <laughs> i'm not about the candle yeah 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 candle um, candle I don't know what it's called. Um, I think it's the Kindle. Kindle. I yeah. Think it is, I think it is the Kindle, but you wouldn't know because you're not, not about that life, I suppose. Yeah, um, no, I can definitely relate to that. Just needing multiple um, sources of attention at once. Yeah, I need. It's like I have to have music on or white noise and something else, mm-hmm. like TV and my phone. Yep. I can't just have like one, like nothing happening. So it's it's really important to actually be aware of that. And let yourself be alone and let yourself feel like present. Yeah. Um, I know for myself, if I didn't have lo-fi hip hop issues to study to, I could be in a spot of Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You wouldn't be at uni. No way. (laughs) No way. And how would you chill as well? I don't know. Chill, relax and study. That's how I blow off steam. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll just get on a 24 hour uh, (laughs) live stream and that. Yeah. Two, three days goes by and you're just chilling. Yeah. Right. And you know, um, have you recently gone back to studying or is that something you were doing in the midst of making that decision? Uh, no, I, I literally, I just graduated, uh, I didn't graduate, but I just finished my degree in uh, audio engineering and music production. Congrats. Uh, two weeks ago. 
and it took me about seven years. Um, but now technically I'm fully qualified to run a studio, which is what I'm already doing. So kind of makes me question why <laughs> I did it, but I'll be honest. I think I just did it for my mum. So shout out mum. Shout out mum. No one in my family, I think is like had a university degree. So it'll be nice for her to go to a graduation. So there you go, mum. That's, that debt is for you. <laughs> <laughs> that makes up for everything. You owe me 80k, mum. <laughs> right, that's right. Um, and I guess it also goes back to, you know, not having that excuse to lay in bed and do nothing all day yeah. and actually being able to study or turn your attention to something more productive. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. That's, um, that's about all we've got time for today. Um, I'd like to thank Ben for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Can I shout out my band? Yes, you can. It's Coco, K-O-K-O. And on Instagram, we're Coco the Band. Coco the uh, Band. Come see us or come listen to our music. Any upcoming gigs that you'd like to plug? Uh, I actually, I'll be playing two shows this month. One at, uh, both at Bodrigi. Um, one on Thursday the 7th and one on Thursday the 14th. And they're both just going to be improv sets. We're going to mess around jam. So come have a, a beer. Yeah. <laughs> come hang out with us at a brewery. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're sober or whatever, I'll buy you a lemon lime bitters if you come. So That's right. And they're refreshing. As refreshing as yeah, it gets. Yeah, you know, as delicious. And they have a little bit of alcohol in them. There you the go. Bitters, it's mostly alcohol. <laughs> but there you go. Shout out the bitters. Uh, <laughs> I hope you'll be able to join us next week where we'll be talking about addiction and the impact of the recovery journey. Coming up next is Balamoir, The Spirit of Wah, hosted by Uncle Talgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco on a journey of spirit and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned to 3CR for more Radical Radio. And to take us out, we've got a song called Oh My Country by Cindy Bost.